We read the scripture as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Well, happy Father's Day. Man, it's such a good day to be with you celebrating dads. Uh, in fact, on the way out today, all of the guys in the room, uh, father or not, if you're a dude, on your way out, we've got a gift for you, all right? Uh, there's a really sweet Faith Church hat uh, free. We want to give it to you just to say we love you as we celebrate uh, the guys in our lives. And we know fatherhood uh, looks different at different stages and seasons and life realities. And so, uh, man, we, we are so thankful uh, for you and who you are and who you are becoming. We, uh, we've been in a collection of uh, messages, of sermons, kind of walking and journeying through uh, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And so today, I want to kind of give a big picture overview of chapters 3 and chapters 4. Um, so if you have a copy of Scripture, join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. If maybe you didn't bring one with you, that's all right. Uh, we've got the Scriptures available for you. Pull out your phone. Uh, go to faithchurchks.org. Click on Sermon Notes. And you'll be able to follow right along with us today. Um, I want to say real quick, happy Father's Day to my dad. He typically is watching. So dad, happy Father's Day. Thanks for teaching me how to serve people and cheer for a winner like the Cardinals. I love you <laughs> so much. Uh, I tell you what, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, we didn't really plan this. I, I, I'm not really that, 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 that smart to do this, but... Uh, as we were talking about the summer study, I knew we needed to study 1 Corinthians, and we knew kind of when we wanted to start it, and I didn't really kind of pace it out to like always, you know, like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this first, and, and I didn't go and say, okay, wait a second, what's happening on Father's Day? Okay, what in 1 Corinthians, where do I need to be in 1 Corinthians to have a good Father's Day message? Like, I didn't do that. But as I was studying this week, praying for dads, I was sitting there thinking, Oh, man, is there some great content in here to encourage dads? And I didn't plan it that way, but I think God did, and I think you're here for a reason and on purpose. And, and even another kind of like cherry on top for me this week, I just kind of was chuckling, um, because at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 um, is one of my dad's actually favorite verses he loved to quote uh, to us kids, especially when we were not um, acting in an obedient manner. His favorite verse to quote to us is, was, uh, shall I come unto you with the rod of discipline? <laughs> we had a paddle that sat on our mantle that he titled the rod of correction. <laughs> I knew that paddle well, unfortunately. 
And so today we are going to talk a little bit to the dads, but more specifically, I want to talk to all of us as we journey through this this section of scripture to, to really see what God wants to say to us. Because 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians is like a master class in how to live the Christian life. It is a master class in how to be a part of a body known as a church. It's a, it's a master class on how to live individually, but a part of a bigger picture and story in a way that honors God and lives for him. And I don't think you have to look very far in society, and you could go look it up. I, I went and looked up some stats this week on just fatherhood and the importance of having male uh, positive male role models in the lives of young people, um, what that does to a young person. There are statistics that are absolutely mind-blowing to me as to the positive outcomes that statistically increase when there is a father present in the home. And that's not to say that those who don't have fathers present in their home right now or didn't grow up in a home that, uh, with a father that you are without cause and without hope because I believe that God, our Heavenly Father, shows up in tangible ways in our lives and brings the right people into our lives to help shape and move and direct us and helps us get through our lives. He's the one who's really navigating and moving but I do believe that God is looking for men who will become fathers who will help the family of God grow in maturity and when I say a father in this context I'm not talking simply biologically I'm talking more specifically on a spiritual manner I believe that the church the family of God is fathers and mothers who raise sons and daughters to themselves become fathers and mothers I believe that's part of the call of the people of God and the family of God is to come together to raise and grow. The, the whole call of following Jesus was to become a disciple, one who is learning and modeling your life after another. And, and Jesus is the one that we're learning and modeling our lives after. I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and, and listen to these words that Paul is writing. And he says, brothers and sisters, I... I don't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul is writing and saying, hey, listen, um, uh, you're at a place where you're still very young in your understanding of God and in your pursuit of God and in your own personal faith. Because Jesus came on the scene and in John 3, he says, unless a person is born again, they can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, friends, we all start in our faith journey as infants, not only in our understanding, but in the state of our ability to grow and stand in our own faith. This is why we need family. This is why we, we want to be a part of the people of God so that we can't do it on our own because we can't grow just on our own. We need others around us to help us grow just like you can't have a baby, leave it at uh, six months and hope that it survives on its own. Good luck, baby. See you when you're 18, right? It doesn't quite work that way. And the same is true on a spiritual faith level. And he's addressing and, and acknowledging that. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for, man, you weren't really ready for it. 
Have you ever tried to feed an infant a piece of steak? Probably not. If you have, don't admit it, right? Like, this could be problems. He says, I wanted to give you more, but you weren't quite ready yet. For you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Verse 5, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos then watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded. Somebody say rewarded. According to their own labor. For we are co-workers. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, what's up, co-worker? I'm glad you showed up today. Just go and tell them. <laughs> For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Paul's trying to use like five different analogies all in one to try to help us understand something. See, what we said at the very beginning of this collection when we were introducing the Corinthian people, one of the problems that they were having was they were constantly fighting, they were constantly arguing, and they were constantly kind of pitting one another against each other. There was division and fights and ain't nobody getting along. I know that doesn't sound like anything happening in our world today because we all just get along perfectly all the time. And there were arguments and quarrels and people were splintering off and going their direction and going this direction. I believe that one of the tactics that the enemy does to bring division into a home, into a family, into a church is a tactic and a trap called comparison. And they are sitting here comparing Paul and Apollos and who's better and who's not. And we'll, we'll discover in chapter 11 how they were, they were starting to compare who has money, who, who doesn't have money. Who should eat first at the, the, the potluck and who should eat second and last and third. And if you brought something, you got to eat. And if you didn't bring something, then you weren't worthy to be even partaking. And they were constantly classifying and qualifying. Oh, you're, you're this person. Oh, you've had this education. You've got this money. Oh, okay, yeah. And they were continually comparing themselves one with another. And it became a trap to where now they begin to fight and quarrel. And their fighting and their quarreling, hear me, were keeping them from maturing. Fighting and quarreling is a sign of the immature, not the mature in faith. And Paul is addressing and he's saying this, and, and I believe comparison is indeed a, a trap and a tactic of the enemy. And I believe comparison is often seen in two main ways in our life. Two, two ways, and I'm going to give them to you right up top. Number one, in competition, and number two, through the language of criticism. 
When comparison is at the core of your heart and a part of who you are, you will compete and you will criticize the people around you. Let's talk for a minute about this competition. Now, I'm not talking about fun, jovial, lighthearted competition. I have a friend who attends our church. His name is Phil. And uh, Phil has yet to find Jesus because he's a Cubs fan. I am a Cardinals fan. In fact, when we go golfing, it, look, it looks just, just like this. I think we've got a picture here. Um, can we throw that up on the screen, please? There it is, right here. Yeah, uh, you can see which card is holy and which card is bound for hell. Like, you can just see it in one picture. Looks like this. Now, he knew I was going to poke fun at him today, and, and, and so he's a good sport about it. So I'm not talking about jovial things, right? Like, and this is actually what it looks like in our golf game, too. Typically, I'm first, and he's not. Right? Like, this is, this is often where, where we're at. I love you, Phil. Uh, and, and he would say, just look at the standings, Pastor. Look at the standings right now. Cubs are on top. Cards are on the bottom. Cubs are winning right now. And it's true. And, and to bring it back biblically, the Antichrist at one point looks like he's going to win. But then Jesus returns in the end, and it all, all comes, comes out. That was really just for my dad. I just wanted to bless my dad this morning. I'm not talking about that kind of competition. See, what, what's happening is that in the family of God that Paul is writing to in Corinth, they are indeed competing instead of being co-workers. Paul says we ought to recognize that we're co-laborers, that we all have a part to play. But you're sitting here trying to compete with one another. They, they were, they were creating something that um, is still in occurrence today. They... The people in Corinth were trying to create celebrity Christians out of Paul and Apollos. Paul and Apollos weren't creating that context. It was the people who were like, well, I got baptized by Paul, so I'm better than you. I was here first. I should have more say, more authority, more power. Our church is bigger than your church. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit, but we know you don't too, right? Like, like it was this competition again and again and again and it's true in our culture we we have trouble showing honor without idolizing we, we talk about even the dads who mean something we use words like he was my idol he was my hero and I don't, I'm not criticizing those words. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have somebody that we look up to. In fact, stick around to the end of the message. I'm going to encourage you to find somebody to look up to and to help you further go down your life and how what you actually need is a spiritual father or mother in your life to help you navigate beyond the immaturity where you, that you can't see in your life and they help you grow to maturity to a place that you know you should be in your life. We're, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But I'm just talking about in nature right now, our humanity is to take something that we like, make it bigger, blow it out of proportion and we just follow it and we share it and we scroll it and we stare at it and we create celebrity status for anyone we think has done something important or impressive in our life and we have to be careful in our hearts that it, we don't fall into this trap of really competition friends i i do believe that the 
the, the, for, for Paul and for Apollos, the part that they each played, and for the church and what was happening. The problem never is, even to this day, the problem is never really the size or scope of ministry, but it's really an issue of competition within the people who are receiving from the ministry and sometimes from the ministers themselves. Can, can I just set to rest something here at Faith Church? We are not in competition with another church in this area. We're not trying to compete for a greater market share of the people in our region to come to our church versus another church. It's not us versus them. It's us with them co-laboring on the same team to bring about life and redemption and hope in the city that we happen to find ourselves living in. We're not here trying to say, well, Paul is better, Apollos is better. Siri was just telling me amen on my watch. At least that's what I think he was trying to say. I don't know. Apparently, I'm talking too much with my hands. I'm going to put this one in my pocket for a minute. It's not Paul versus Apollos. It wasn't like, I like Paul because he, he really hits me in the gut and steps on my toes when he preaches. No, no, no. I like Apollos. He's very encouraging and soft and tender. I, I like that better. Paul is sitting there saying, That's, that kind of comparison is actually really immature. Don't you realize that we're both co-laboring? And in the end, it's actually God who's trying to produce something inside of you. I love it when other pastors on our staff preach. I don't feel threatened. I don't feel in competition. They like it when I speak because that means they're not speaking, right? Like, so... So like even in our staff, we're not sitting here trying to compete. We celebrate with one another. And I think if we're not careful in our lives, we can fall into the trap of comparing one life to another and we fall into the activity of competition. Listen, we all have a part to play on the team of God. And in the end, it's God who's going to get the credit. And, and, and what God has called the church worldwide to is bigger than any one church or ministry. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And that's why it takes all of us pursuing God to help accomplish the dreams that God has for our region. And in the end, it's going to be God who gets the glory. Friends, there is a much bigger history here at Faith Church than just when Amber and I came here over five years ago. There is a rich legacy of many men and women who have labored and planted and watered and have been faithful in this organization, in this church, in this community for a lot of years. And we are reaping a harvest today of seeds that they planted in prayer years ago. And this is what Paul's trying to address. He's trying to say, hey, listen, I, some people have planted and some have done this, but it's God who's getting the increase. Yes, the church here at Faith Church, it has grown quite a bit in the last five years, but that doesn't take away because Pastor Tim and Gypsy were faithful stewards of their call and they have laid a foundation and got some things right for us. And so it's not that, that I'm better or he's better and neither of us think in those terms. It's simply the fact that God is moving and he gets some glory and credit for changed lives in this area. Friends, this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. And, and if we're not careful, competition can lead us to conflict. And we end up fighting and arguing. 
instead of it encouraging us into Christ-like character, we find ourselves fighting and arguing and living with a competitive spirit, us versus them, and even within the church, this ministry versus that ministry, or this person who, who's a, a section host versus that person who's a section host, or, or my family against somebody else's family, and, and which family should have the power. And we, we don't have power struggles here at Faith Church because we're on the same team. We're not looking, I'm not trying to compare my family status with somebody else's family status. I'm not trying to, 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 to see which kids are better than other kids and I've got an honor student. Yeah, well, my kid beat up your honor student, right? Like, like this. Competition is often leading us toward conflict. And, and friends, when we live with a competitive, comparing spirit, we find ourselves in conflict a lot with the people around us, with the culture, with the community, with others in our own family. And sometimes we're sitting here wondering, well, how do we resolve conflict, Pastor? Is it, is it possible to disagree without being divisive? Is, is, there, is there ever an appropriate time to, to maybe part paths in a relationship and, and go a separate way? I say, yeah, I think that there is. And those are really great questions. In fact, somebody should write those questions down and submit them for our next Sunday Night Live Q&A because I'm not gonna answer them today. They're great questions. I do, there's, I do believe there's a way to, be, to have a disagreement without being divisive. I think there is a way to, to, to find resolution to the conflict that you're having in your life. I think scripture helps us. I think, though, the best way in our own hearts to stop competing and stop, stop, stop this comparison trap is by choosing to contribute to God's work instead, to recognize that we're co-laborers and I've got a part to contribute. And if I'm busy contributing, knowing that I'm on the same team, I don't need to compete with anybody else who's on our team because we are co-workers. In fact, you, you can write this thought down. When you choose to serve, that's when God helps shape godly character in you. And when godly character is in you, you find yourself walking in conflict less and less because when you start reflecting godly character, you stop comparing and you find yourself maturing and growing beyond those things. Doesn't mean it's never happening. Just means you know how to navigate beyond it. And you have the character that helps you move beyond just simple competition that leads to conflict. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says, By the grace God has given me, I just laid a foundation. Someone else building on it. But each one should build with care. Not competition. Not with comparison with care for no one can lay a foundation other than what christ has already laid in christ jesus anyways if anyone builds on the foundation using gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw in other words what they use to build on how they go about building and and adding to with care 
these foundations of a spiritual life. Remember, he's talking about growing from infants to mature. Like, this is what he's talking about. Anybody who's building into the life of faith, anybody who's helping you on your faith journey, anyone who's serving and, and doing things for God, anybody who's doing these things, it's moving in this direction. Their, their work, he says, will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. What day? The end of all times. When Jesus returns and then we come face to face with him. In the end, it will be brought to light. And it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, man, then the builder receives a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will then suffer some loss. But yet we'll be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. He, he comes along and he says, hey, build with some care here. Build with some care. B build with care, not criticism. See, because when we fall into the trap of comparison, we either compete externally or we criticize verbally. Like we're doing one of those things. It's an indication that in our heart often we find ourselves going somewhere. And, and, and oftentimes what we find ourselves doing is instead of ourselves still building with care, we sit back as armchair quarterbacks saying, I don't think they're doing that right. That's not how I would parent. Well, if I was leading the church, I would do it like this. Well, if it were my decision, this is how I would do it. Well, I, I wouldn't have preached the message like that. I can't believe he's wearing white shoes and a jersey. Doesn't he know it's church? I wouldn't do it that way. That's not, if, if, it, were, if it were up to me, well, if my husband really knew what he was doing, he wouldn't have done that. He would have made this decision, but he didn't ask me. And instead of actually co-laboring and partnering together and joining the mission that God invites all of us to partner in, we sit back and we compete or we start to criticize. And Paul is writing and saying, hey, 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 listen, 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 listen. Hold your criticism for a minute. Because it's all gonna be proven in the end. You don't have to waste your energy criticizing another follower of Jesus, criticizing someone else, because in the end, God will judge and examine and it will be revealed. It's either gonna have fruit that remains or it's gonna have branches that get pruned off to use another illustration from Jesus's own ministry. You don't have to criticize because in the end, it's going to all be seen in the end. It's all going to come out. Just be patient a little bit. Don't jump to some conclusions. You know, I think that's what criticism does, doesn't it? When we start using words of criticism, aren't we really just jumping to a conclusion that we assume about someone else? We assume their motives a certain way. We assume that because they must, this is what I see on the outside, this must be true. But isn't it possible that there might be a little bit more to the story than what you know? There might be a little bit more. There might be more underneath the surface of what's happening in their life. And man, the fact that they're still standing on two feet is amazing. 
the fact that they still showed up knowing what they walked through this week, but they still walked through the doors. They may not be bubbly and smiling, but by golly, they're here today. And you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes in someone else's life. So stop criticizing and instead co-labor with some care. Don't live with some criticism because criticism leads to an assumed conclusion. Listen, when I criticize because I'm trying to compare me versus them so I can look better, I end up standing in the judgment seat against another person's work jumping to conclusions. And if you are sitting in the judgment seat, then Jesus isn't sitting in the judgment seat. And friends, I'm guilty of this. I like to sit in the judgment seat. I like to make calls. I like to call it discernment. But oftentimes it's really just criticism. It's just gossip. Criticism is one of those things where we just kind of jump to a conclusion. We, we jump to the end, and, and Paul is writing and saying, listen, build with some care because it's all, it's going to get judged in the end. Listen, I, I want to be really, really clear. We all will face a judgment. At the end of time, we're going to all face a judgment. And for those who are following Jesus those who have given their lives, those who are walking this path following him, it's, it's a works and a reward stewardship judgment. Look, 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 verse, verse uh, chapter three, verse 12. This is 12 and 13. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is. This is parallel with what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 25 when he told a parable of a, of a man who owned a lot of things and he had some stewards and he says, I'm giving you five, you two, you one. And he gave each of them something to steward according to their ability. And then when he returned, he came and collected on the accounts and they, they, they tallied up the accounts and, and he wanted to reward them based on what they did well and how well they steward, what they built with. And two of them got uh, more than what they had. They were like, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm gonna make you ruler over more things. And to one who was wicked and lazy and critical of his master and critical and lived with a spirit of fear, he went and buried his. He didn't do nothing with it. He didn't even try. He was too afraid. And the master's like, whoa, 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 you didn't do anything with it? Man, you should have done something. I mean, try something. And in the end, we stand before the Lord. Listen, the judgment that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, that we face is not a sin, heaven, hell judgment. Je Jesus was clear in John 5, 24. He said, very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me, that's God the Father, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. Those who reject Jesus, 
they're going to face that kind of judgment in the end. But those who have accepted the work that Jesus has done on the cross, what he's done, him being the son of God, who amongst all of our doubts and our uncertainties, we come before him. He says, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to give you the same righteousness that Jesus had just by believing in him. You're going to pass over from that judgment of, of heaven and hell, but instead you're going to come before me and we're going to talk about how can I reward you for the good things that you did in my name. And Paul is saying some are building here and some are building there. And in the end, some of it will last and some of it won't last. Because sometimes you build with the right motive and sometimes you build with the really wrong motive. Sometimes we're, we're contributing in a way that is helpful and sometimes we're just sitting back criticizing way more than we're contributing. And Paul is trying to get us to understand you don't need to compare yourself. You don't need to compete and you don't need to criticize because in the end, God's gonna fix it all. It's gonna all be seen in the end and you can chill out. So stop jumping to conclusions. He goes on in chapter four, starting in verse three, he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any other human for that matter. In other words, I, I, frankly, I don't really care what you think about me. Because I am not bound by your opinion. I'm living for the approval of one. His name is Jesus. And so you can fight and compare all you want. I'm just telling you it doesn't do any good. It's not helpful. He says, indeed, I, I, I've not even judged myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. Because it's the Lord who's going to judge me. Friends, can I caution us? When you look at other churches, other ministries, other people, can, can we be really careful not to shower unjust criticisms on people? Like, we're not the Christian Gestapo. When it comes to other people's lives, we're not needing to put our noses all up in their business. Keep your nose on your face. And move towards God and yourself. Well, pastor, aren't we supposed to judge some things? Again, another great question. Someone should ask that question when we come to our next Sunday Night Live Q&A. Therefore, he says, verse five, don't judge anything before the appointed time. Wait, wait, hold your criticism, just wait. Yeah, yeah, but that ministry, they're preaching a false gospel. Just shut up and wait a minute. Yeah, 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 but that church, they're not doing it this way and they're not reaching people and just chill out, just chill out. Yeah, 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 but that pastor, that guy, that mom, that teacher, that this, my boss, just chill out and wait for a minute. Is God in control or are you? Just hold up. Yeah, but I, I'm looking on the outside and I'm looking at these things and I'm looking at the externals and I'm, and I'm worried. And, and what about this and, and our political system and this thing? And I get it, it's troubling. But wait a minute. Just wait. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. In the end, friends, as followers of Jesus, we need to understand we're not in competition and we don't need to live with criticism. We just need to take our place as co-laborers 
And as co-laborers, we're storing up something in heaven that neither moth nor rust can destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal it, as Jesus said. We're storing something up. And they will receive praise. He didn't say they will receive punishment. He said they will receive praise from God. Friends, I think we need to come to a place where we're not letting criticism, and this is for somebody in here. Don't let criticism from other people who have no real stake in your life control you with their criticism. I don't know what you were brought up in, but you don't have to be controlled by that same environment. God can set you free, bring healing, and help lead you into life that he's really called you into. Some, some of us can easily get crippled by the criticisms of others. Stop listening to the crowd. And just listen to what the king wants to say to you. I love how he says in 1 Corinthians 4, start, go back to verse 1. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us all. Co-laborers, people who serve in the church, pastors. This is how you ought to regard the people of God. As servants of Christ and as those trusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I think in the end, if we're going to avoid competition and we're going to avoid criticism and not be controlled in that comparison trap, if we're not going to get stuck there, I think in our lives it, it's going to require us to do two things. One, choose to be a servant who contributes instead of competes. Contribute to God's cause. Don't compete amongst yourselves. Be a co-laborer. A servant is somebody who doesn't call the shots. They just obey the commands given to them. We don't, get, we don't call the shots in our lives. We just simply choose to serve Jesus and let him call the shots in our lives. This idea of developing Christ-like character, which helps us navigate conflict and avoid this idea of competition again and again, is found when we serve. You want to know the test of the heart of a servant? You want to know if you're really having a servant's heart? Watch how you respond when you're treated like an actual servant. Do you flare up? Do you get arrogant? Do you fight back? Do you... I can't believe my boss would expect me to do that. I don't know. He's kind of like your boss. Last time I checked, he gets to boss. Well, I don't agree. I don't like it. I don't. I don't know. Maybe just maybe we choose to have a heart that says, I'm just going to serve and I'm going to contribute and I'm not going to try and compete. And let it develop some Christ like character in me. He may be wrong. And he may never admit that he's wrong. She's wrong. In the end, it'll all be found out anyways. So guard your heart. Choose to live as a servant. Two. Number one, be a, choose to be a servant. Number two, choose to be a steward. Celebrate instead of criticize. Celebrate. Celebrate with others the good things that are happening in their life. Don't criticize. 
Don't sit and criticize how other people are celebrating Father's Day today. Just celebrate with them. You're on the same team. Their win is God's win, right? Like we're a family of God, like something good is happening. Let's celebrate it. Let's cheer it on. Stewards are somebody who can be trusted to make some decisions on their own because they've been proven faithful to service. Faithfulness is always the aim in our lives. Friends, I want you to think for a minute. Men, I want you to think especially about this for just a minute. What is the content of your life right now? For, for me, the contents of my life sounds something like this. I, I have a marriage. I have a church that I'm a part of. I have relationships. I have two cars, a house, a golf cart with a killer cardinal sticker on it, three pets, three kids. I have hopes. I have dreams. I have fears. I have experiences. I have connections. I have a community reputation. I have secrets. I have leadership. There are budgets I manage. There's a business side, a side business online that I run. I have hobbies. I have a yard that I like to work in and make it look good. I have family. I have skills. I have ability. I have time. I have money. This is the sum of my life. One day, I will stand before God and he will say, let's look at the contents of your life. Let's look at what was placed in your hand. And let me look for some ways to reward you because I want to tell you, good, good job, faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been faithful coming to the reward. That's the desire of our Father. Friends, many of us are building for retirement, but not building for eternity. And there is a difference. I believe that every person who wants to follow Jesus needs a spiritual father and a spiritual mother in their life someone to help them develop and grow in their faith. I think not only does everybody need a father or mother, I think everybody needs a friend to come alongside that encourages them in their walk of faith. But I also think everyone needs to at some point have someone who they are like a father or mother to, who is helping them along in their faith journey. We all need to occupy those three spots. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4.14, he says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. All these things, three and four. I'm writing all of this, not to shame you, but to help you as children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. Father is somebody who knows how to cultivate, somebody who knows how to encourage, someone who knows how to look past the flare-ups in this moment to the potential that they have in the future. A father is somebody who can be kind and tender and encouraging and be wise and help navigate. And like, we all need fathers and mothers to help us do that. He says, you've got a lot of guardians. You've got a lot of people who are chirping and trying to tell you how to live a Christian life what you really need are some fathers. You need some mothers. 
He says, for in Christ I came to you as a father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, don't miss this, imitate me. What does a father do? A, a father is one who comes alongside and says, I don't know that I've got it all figured out, but what I have figured out, would you just kind of follow and pattern it after me? That's called discipleship. Friends, this week, as a, just a real practical way, I, I want to encourage you to find a way to contribute to God's kingdom. Uh, instead of criticizing, why don't you find a way to celebrate something that God is doing in somebody else's life? Celebrate. Man, I've really noticed that you've been faithful lately, or I've really seen that you've got some joy lately. Man, I saw that you've been reading the Bible lately. Well done. Hey, I saw how you interacted here. You did that. Find something to celebrate in someone else's life. I'm going to invite you, if you would, would you stand? We want to come to a moment of response here at the table. Friends, it's easy to fall into the trap of comparison. And we start to compete in our lives, trying to win mom of the year, dad of the year, businessman of the year. We, we, we can easily fall into the trap of criticizing, being really critical with our words and harsh. And we, we can get there. But as we come to the table, I want us to maybe concentrate on something different. Concentrate on Christ. Go ahead and get the annoying sounds out of the way. Just go ahead and open the top layer. Hold the little wafer. You can open up the, the bottom layer. Have the juice sitting right there. And if you would, would you just kind of close your eyes just for a minute and just take a moment with the Lord, just to pause and ask the Holy Spirit some things today. I'm going to read a few questions to us, and I just want you to sit and linger for a moment. And think, and maybe the Lord is whispering something to you, a thought comes to your mind in one of these. But we want to live in a Christ-centered, godly character life. That's what, we, that's what we're after. Something worthy of other people who actually want to imitate that helps them find Jesus more. ask this question of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Holy Spirit, is there anything I'm doing in my life you wish I wouldn't be doing? Holy Spirit of God, is there anything that I am doing or that I'm not doing that you wish I would begin to do? Holy Spirit, what am I doing right now that you're happy about. Here's another good one. Holy Spirit of God, what do you like about me? And finally, Holy Spirit, if I ignore what you are speaking to me, what will those consequences be in the future? Father, we come in this moment to your table. All of us having our own story, our own journey, our own path in this place, God, we come to remember one person. We come to remember Christ. Christ who was crucified, Christ who was buried, Christ who was raised again, but 
it was the crucifixion where his body was broken, his blood was poured out. His body was broken because there's broken areas in our lives that he wants to help make whole. And blood was poured out because there are many sins that needed to be washed clean. And that was how you chose to do it. He took our place there. He took your judgment for us. And God, that's what we choose to remember. So Lord, like Jesus, he took the bread, he broke it, and he blessed it. He says, this is my body. Eat this and remember me. Let's remember that together as we take the bread. And like Jesus, he lifted a cup in that last meal and he says, this is the cup of a new covenant that I'm starting. Every time you drink this cup, remember that my blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Do it and remember me. Let's remember that sacrifice too. You just hold on to those cups and you'll be able to get rid of them here in a moment. But Father, I thank you that you would seal these moments, seal this time, seal this word. Lord, I pray that there would be something ignited within us today to walk with godly character, to mature and grow beyond where we're at, to not fall into the trap of comparison where we compete or we criticize, but rather we choose to be co-laborers working in a way that honors you with all of our lives. I pray, Lord, you would bless each father, each family, and each person today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.